We ready for tonight's Bible study? All right. How did we like last week's Bible study? Did we remember what we learned last week? What did we learn last week? I'm about to pump you guys for some questions now. What did we learn last week? You're like, please, Pastor, don't put me on the spot. I'm not going to put nobody on the spot. Okay? But if, you, if there's something that, st- that stood out to you, go ahead and shout it out. Right? Huh? Try to what now? Try to rush God's will. Right, yeah. That's, a, that's a definite. Okay. Last week, we left off in chapter 28. So tonight, we're going to cover Genesis chapter 29. Okay, so if you want to open up your Bibles now, as we kind of give a little recap of last week, go ahead and do that. <clears throat> but last week, we left off in chapter 28 seeing Jacob converted, remember? Jacob was converted. He had an encounter with the Lord. Okay. Jacob was was running. Remember? He was running away. Why was Jacob running away? That's right. His brother wanted to kill him. He was running away from the hostility, right? The hostility and the anger of his older brother who was really angry. Why was he angry? That's right. He He stole his inheritance, stole his blessing, right? So... Here, he's on the run because Esau, his older twin brother, says, I'm going to kill my twin brother. I'm going to kill him because he stole from me. He cheated me, right? So, in the way that he, the way that he cheated him was he ended up tricking his father Isaac. You guys remember that? His father Isaac was blind, old, and he comes in and he poses as Esau. And so Isaac is thinking that he's blessing Esau, his favorite, but in reality, he's blessing Jacob. So Esau says, I'm going to kill my brother. But on the advice of his mom, on the advice of Rebecca, Jacob ends up taking off. He ends up going to Padanaram. Okay? So here, he was supposed to go to Padanaram for only a couple of days. You guys remember that? Only a couple of days. Now, how long did those couple of days end up turning into? Years, right? More than 20 years, okay? And so we learned that those couple of days end up turning to 20 years, and guess what? Mom and dad no longer get to see their son, okay? So it's here where we see Jacob, you know, Jacob the manipulator, right? Jacob the the conniver, Jacob the con man. You know, we see him now. He's in the middle of a desert, right? In the middle of a rocky region, and he's running, and he's tired, okay? He's fatigued. And so what does he do? He grabs a rock. He grabs a rock and he uses that rock as a pillow and he lays down and he goes to sleep. Okay? Now what happened when he goes to sleep? Who the animals are flying. Right. So he has a dream. He has a revelation from the Lord. Okay? Anybody remember what the dream was? The stairway, right? The, the, the ladder. You know, they call it Jacob's ladder, right? But it was the stairway. And what was on the stairway? The angels. And they were doing what? I like that. Going up and coming down. Very specific. They were ascending and then descending. Right? So not only is there activity in heaven, but it shows us that there's there's angelic activity here on earth. Okay? So what does the ladder represent? Right, a connection between heaven and earth. But what does it symbolize? 
You are there, sister. But what does it symbolize? Come on. You know it. Say it. Right. Jesus. Jesus is that ladder. Okay. Remember we compared last week's chapter, chapter 28, with John chapter 1. Right. Uh, Jacob has the dream of the ladder with the angels ascending and descending. And in chapter 1, Jesus tells Nathaniel, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of God. Right? So the ladder is the Son of God. It is that gap filler. Right? If you will. Jesus is that master gap filler that spans the gap between God and man. So in other words, Jesus is the one that makes access for us to go into heaven Right? Not just in the future, but even now. As we pray, we go boldly before God's throne of grace, right? Jesus made that possible for us. At the same time, when we see the angels descending, that's Jesus bringing heaven down to earth. You know what I mean? So we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of heaven, okay? So he wakes up. Now, do we remember what he says when he wakes up? Oh, that's good. Truly God is in this place, right? And I didn't know it. So he changes that name from, you remember what the name was? That's what it, that's what it changed it to. But what was it before? There you go, Luz, right? Which means separation. It means separation. And what does Bethel mean? House of God. So here we see where Jacob becomes born again. He has that, that, that encounter with the Lord, okay? And so through this right here, we see, we can tell that, that we know that he had that born again experience because we see three things happening, right? Three things happening in Jacob's life that also happen in every believer's life. Number one was he develops a life of what? He develops a life of worship, okay? Remember, he wakes up. And, and that same stone that he uses as a pillow, he turns it into, he uses it as a pillar now, right? As a memorial to worship God. And the Bible says that he pours oil over it. Now, what does the oil represent? Anointing, right? It represents the Holy Spirit, okay? So he develops a life of worship. But what else did he develop? He developed a life of works, okay? He gave his tithes willingly happily right no one had to tell him hey you got to do this no he did it happily so he developed a life of worship developed life of works and the last thing he developed a new walk remember remember he had that little pep in his step right he had that new that new confidence right because he, he's got a new purpose now right so these three things is what we will see in every believer right that enthusiasm Right? That enthusiasm in the Greek, it, it, it indicates intense excitement, right? From the word enthusiasmos, right? Uh, entheos. And it means possessed by God or full of God, meaning inspired, right? So these three characteristics we saw in Jacob, these three characteristics are the same thing that we will see in each person who gives their life to the Lord, who has a, an encounter with the Lord, right? Because the first thing you want to do is you want to worship God. You know what I mean? And you want to do whatever you can, you know, to glorify God, right? And now you got a different walk. So praise God. So we see that Jacob is now converted, okay? Jacob is saved now, okay? So listen, Jacob is saved, 
but there's a big but. Jacob is saved, but he's not subdued. Okay? He's saved. He's born again. He's on his way, but he's not subdued. Right? Because why? Because he still has some things of the flesh in him. Right? Just like I do. Just like you do. Right? There's some things in Jacob that God has to work out. Remember how we talked about how God works, that we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, right? We each, we each have a relationship with the Lord. It might be different from one another, but it's still the same Holy Spirit working things out in our lives, right? So here we see that, yeah, Jacob is saved, but now, you know, he, he's, he's not subdued. So God has to work on some things. He's got to deal uh, with some things in Jacob's life. Okay, there's some work that's got to be done. So what happens is, is that now as we enter into Genesis 29, we're going to see that now Jacob is on his spiritual journey. Okay, that spiritual journey is what I want to call the school of hard knocks. How many of us have been in the school of hard knocks? Okay, right. How many of us are in the school of hard knocks? And I'm not talking about, you know, a terminology from the streets, right? Oh, yeah, I came from the hood, you know, so I know about the school of hard knocks. No, I'm talking about spiritual school of hard knocks, right? All of us should be in that school of hard knocks now. Amen? So we're going to see what Jacob has to go through and what God has to work out in the life of Jacob. Amen? So why don't we go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the, the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Verse 4. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. Now, this right here must have been sweet music to his ears, right? Because from the point where he has the revelation of the Lord to, to Haran, his destiny, that's over 400 miles. So he walked over 400 miles. So for him to hear them say, we're from Haran, that's sweet music to his just because now he knows that he's, he's reached his destiny, okay? Granted, now the, the hand of God was upon Jacob, right? Protecting him and guiding him. And so now we see that he's in Haran now. And now it talks about that there's a well. So he's standing in front of a well with a big rock over it, right? And this well was a place where the shepherds would show up along with their flock, right? Their sheep, and they would water the sheep there. And here, when he arrived there, it was early afternoon. And so when he, when he, when he arrives early in the, in the afternoon, he sees that these, that these shepherds and the sheep are just lounging around. They're just laying there. They're just chilling, you know. And so evidently the rock was too big, okay. So what they were doing was they were waiting for the rest of the group to show up. That's what they would do. They would wait for all the group to show up, and then in a joint effort, they would move the rock from on top of the well, right? So if, if, we would, if we would show that first image, 
just so that we can get a visual as to what, what this well would look like. This is, this is what the well would look like. Look how big that is. Now, I tried to find an image with a stone on top of it, but I couldn't find one. But this is just to kind of give you an idea of what it would look like. Okay. Show the next one. There it is again. Okay, now this is, this, is, this is the older version. Now, I'm going to show you a, a modern version so that way you can get an idea of how big this thing might have been. So go ahead and show the next one. Look how big that is. Now, that's a modern version of, of the well, okay? But look at the size of the people in comparison to this well. Now, can you imagine how many people it would take to move this rock, right? I mean, you got how many people? About what? Seven, eight, around there. Now you have now you have these shepherds that are waiting until they all come together, so that in a joint effort they can move this rock. Okay, so we can go ahead. Okay, great. So now Jacob is talking with these guys. Okay, and he's asking them. You know, he's looking at them and he's wondering why are they just hanging around, right? He doesn't know that you know, they're waiting for the whole group, but so he's asking them. You know, why they're hanging around and stuff like that. Okay. So he says in verse 5, he says to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? And I love how they say it. They're like, yeah, we know him. Right? They said, we know him. You see, Laban, that dude was, was popular. He was a popular guy because they, 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 they knew what type of character he had. Laban was, Laban was, was a guy who was a self-centered guy. He was a guy who was greedy. You know what I mean? Usually people like that are popular. People like that that only think about themselves, right? So they're like, yeah, we know him. So, so then, you know, they pretty much say that like, you know, yeah, man, he's a real character, right? So then Jacob says, he says, well, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Now, Rachel, Laban's daughter, she comes with the sheep, and, and she's a shepherdess, okay? Now, Jacob is checking her out, right? And he's checking her out from a distance, okay? So that means he's got a pretty good eye, right? He's standing up, and he's like, you know, striking a pole's like, man, Right? He sees her from a distance, man, like, oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? And he's checking her out, you know. This, this, this woman, Rachel, this young girl, Rachel, we're going to see that the Bible describes her as someone that's gorgeous. She's beautiful, extremely beautiful. I mean, it goes into detail as to how she looks, right? She's got a beautiful face. She's got a lovely form. She's shapely. Why does it go into so much detail, right? Why can't they just, like in modern day, she was just fine, right? But it goes into detail as to how she looked, okay? So kind of get a visual of what Jacob is doing. He's checking her out. He's like, oh, my goodness, who is that, okay? So watch what Jacob does. Jacob is classic. Verse 7, he says, look. He said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. 
So he says, hey, bro, it ain't time, right? It's not time for everybody to get together right now, so why don't you do us all a favor? Water these sheep and get to stepping. You know what I mean? That's exactly what he's saying. Get out of here. Now, why do you think, why do you suppose he's doing that? Exactly. He wants to get with Rachel. He's ready to spit some game, right? He's already checked her out from afar. He's like, okay, I already know what I'm about to say. But you know what? I got these dudes right here, and I'm not ready for them to throw a monkey wrench in my program. So I got to act quick, right? So he says, hey, do us all a favor. It ain't time for you guys to come together. Do us all a favor. Water these sheep and step. Okay? Now, this is their response in verse 8. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. They said, we can't do this, man. We cannot leave until everybody shows up. We can't water them until everybody shows up. Everybody's got to come together in order to move this rock. Kind of makes me wonder, were they making excuses so that that way they can scope her out too? You know, because, hey, you got a whole group of fellas, and you got this fine woman coming in. The only shepherdess, right? So they're like, no, we can't do that. So now... Verse 9, while he was still talking with them, Rachel came with their father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel's daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled a stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Now, do we see what's going on here? This is some macho stuff, Right? Because who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jacob, right? Now, who's Jacob? Mr. Smoothie, right? Mr. Smoothie, right? Oh, high-pitched voice, Richard Simmons type. You know what I mean? That's Jacob. And here you got Jacob ready to spit some game on this woman, right? And then he jumps into action. What does he do? My man Jacob goes marvel on these guys. He goes marvel on these guys. I mean, he went from Bruce Bannerman to the Incredible Hulk because it says that he single-handedly moved that stone. Now, we saw the pictures, right? We saw the image. That stone was huge. So this dude gets up, and he goes marvel. He turns Hulk on these guys, and he tells them, stand back. And he moves that stone. And what does he do? He waters the sheep. Okay? He waters the flock of his future wife. Just like Rebecca watered the camels of her future husband, Isaac, Jacob's dad, right? Ain't that something? I told you, man, we got some superheroes here, huh? Praise the Lord. So, Jacob here, Mr. Smoothie, right? Martha Stewart fan, one that's always in the kitchen cooking up some beans, ends up becoming the Hulk, right? But what I like is what happened next. Verse 11, it says, Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Come on, Jacob. 
You were doing so good, Jacob. Huh? You were showing off your manhood. You finally came out from being Mr. Smoothie to the Incredible Hulk to Don Juan by giving her a smooch, and then you start bawling like a little girl. Right? What's going on with Jacob? That's probably what she's thinking, right? What's wrong with this guy? Okay? But he reveals it in verse 12. He had told Rachel that he was a relative. Now, in the Hebrew context, it means that he's a nephew, okay? So he told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob uh, told him all these things. Now, Uncle Laban comes out and he's all excited. And he runs toward Jacob, and he hugs him, and he kisses him, and he does all this stuff. Why does he do that if he doesn't even know this guy? Why does he do that? We just saw right now that Laban is a type of guy that's self-centered. But yet he runs so quickly to embrace this young kid, or not young kid because he's still 77 years old, right? So he goes out there to embrace Jacob, okay? He hugs him, and he kisses him, he butters him up, and he invites him into his home. Why is that? What is it that Laban knows about Jacob? Boom. His dad was rich. You guys remember when Abraham sent his servant to go fetch his bride for Isaac, which happened to be Rebekah, Laban's sister? What did the servant do? He gave her gifts. Put her nose ring, necklaces, earrings, bracelets. And Laban looked at that. He's like, man, they got money. So Laban is thinking about money. So he right away embraces him. And he says, come on. Right? So then Laban starts to butter him up in verse 14. He says, mijo, you are my flesh. You are my blood. And after Jacob had stayed for him for a whole month, right, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. He said, mijo, we're family. Come and work for me, right? Come and stay with me for a month. Now here, we're seeing Jacob. He's on a 30-day probation, right? He's getting sized up. Laban, you can, you can already see the wheels starting to spin, right? You can already hear the squeaking, you know, like the little gopher that runs on a little spinning wheel. He's already thinking what he's going to do. He's already... Moving into action. He says, come on, come on, man. Come stay with me for a month. All right? Enjoy. But can I suggest to you that he's not the only one that's got the wheel spinning? Jacob has his wheel spinning too. Jacob knows what he wants, right? Huh? He wants that young girl. Right? So he agrees. Yeah, I'll stay with you. I'll stay with you. Tio. Right? But Laban... After that month is over, Laban says, name your price. Now, that's kind of odd because Laban, being a boss, they normally don't say name your price. What do bosses say? This is how much that we pay. Do you agree? They're the ones that set the price, right? But Laban doesn't want to lose Jacob. He doesn't want to miss out. He wants to make sure that he keeps Jacob. So he says, hey, name your price. huh? Name it. Okay. So he's allowing Jacob to set his own wages. 
Now, J now Jacob is quick to answer. Just like Laban is quick to offer him whatever he wants, Jacob is quick to answer too. You know, he says, hey, verse, verse, verse 16 says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now here, it says that Leah had weak eyes. In some of your versions, it'll say that she had tender eyes. Okay? Now, some believe that Leah was blind, that she couldn't see. Some believe that Leah had blue eyes, okay, which were soft and tender, as opposed to the traditional strong, dark brown eyes that they're used to. Some believe that her eyes were crooked, you know. But I believe here that these commentators are, are actually being pretty kind because notice how when it describes both Leah and Rachel, it describes Leah with her faults, right? It describes her with her eyes messed up, supposedly, right? But yet when it describes Rachel, it's in detail. She's beautiful, lovely form. It looks at all of her good qualities physically, right? So what does that tell me? That tells me that Leah is not pleasant looking. So in other words, the term that it says that she was tendered-eyed means that she actually made your eyes hurt. You know what I mean? Looking at her. Right? Rachel was fine. Rachel was gorgeous, right? Leah, sorry to say, she was tore back. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's what, what I'm seeing here, is that Leah wasn't pleasant looking. She was hurting your eyes, okay? Now, when you look at her, when you look at her in comparison to, to Rachel, which I believe Jacob did, he probably said, ouch. I don't know. He tells Laban in verse 18, it says, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel. Jacob knew what he wanted, right? It was love at first sight when he saw her. He saw her from a distance, man, and oh, my goodness. He didn't even know what to say. Matter of fact, he probably only had three words. Bing, boom, pow. Right? To describe how gorgeous she was. So he knew what he wanted. He says, her, right away. Her, she's the one. I will work seven years for her. Okay? So then Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. Now, in that culture back then, and it, and it still goes on now, but in that culture, it was customary for the man to give a dowry for his wife, right? It was customary, customary for him to, to, to bring a dowry. Remember when, when the servant of Abraham came, he brought gifts, right? That was the dowry, okay? So the dowry was a form of an advanced alimony, okay? It was a form of an advanced alimony, just in case the marriage didn't work out. Just in case if you treated her bad and she decided to take off, she had the alimony already to take care of herself or vice versa, right? 
or if you decided to divorce her, she wasn't left broke. So that, that, that dowry was, was, was an advanced uh, uh, form of alimony that was supposed to be saved up for the wife. Okay? So it was given to the father, and the father would save it just in case. But here we see that, ja that Jacob had nothing. When Jacob showed up, he had nothing, right? All he had was a, a walking stick. So he didn't have a dowry. So Jacob says, I will, I will work. I will work for that dowry. I will be a slave for seven years. Okay? Now, in reality, because God's hand was on Jacob, those seven years were a tremendous blessing to Laban. He was wealthy. He gained goods and wealth, you know, because of the way God blessed Jacob. God's hand was on Jacob, okay? And so that right there, Laban increased in goods. He increased in wealth. But did Laban use that as a dowry? No. He never used what he, what he gained from Jacob's labor as a dowry. He kept it for himself. Remember, he was self-centered. So he kept it for himself. So he makes the deal with Jacob, and Jacob says, yes, I will serve the younger, for the younger daughter, Rachel. Verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now this right here is awesome. This right here is awesome because he becomes a slave for seven years, but to him it seems like only a couple of days. Why is that? Love, right? First Corinthians chapter 13 says love is what? Patient. Love is patient. Yeah, it's including all that, sister, yes. But what I want to focus on is that first one. Love is patient. We can see the patience of Jacob here, okay? He was patient. He loved her, Right? But can I suggest to you also that this right here also shows a deeper love, a more pure love of Christ and the church. Jacob right here is a form of Christ. Rachel the form is a form of the bride, a shepherdess, right? The fairest among all women. And yet here Jacob is becoming a slave, right? He's becoming of service. He's, becoming, he's, he's, he's turning into, uh, he's, he's, he's serving in order to unite with this bride, right? Just like Jesus came and he served in order to unite us, the church, to him. Amen? This right here is love. Love is patience. Say that. Love is patience. Say it. Love is patience. Especially you young ladies. Say love is patience. Because the next time a guy tells you, I love you so much. I got to have you tonight. You tell him, stop. Because why? Love is patient. Right? And if they're not willing to stop, then that's not love. What is it? Lust. Exactly. Love is patient. Lust is pressure. Right? Love waits. Lust won't. Love gives. Lust 
takes away. Amen? So, for a few days, that's what it seemed to Jacob, right? Even though it was seven years. Okay. So now, the seven years have passed. So now we go to verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to make love to her. So he says, my seven years complete, Uncle Laban. It's time for you to come correct. It's time for you to keep your end of the bargain. Does Laban come correct? No. What does he do? Verse 22, so Laban brought together all the people of the place, and he gave a feast. Now, back in those times, the feast, the wedding feast, was seven days. Okay? Now, in the, the, the Hebrew term feast indicates that they were drinking. So he had seven days of partying, seven days of drinking. Okay? Let's continue. Verse 23, but when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her great attendant. So the big day finally arrived. The wedding day finally arrived. Jacob is nervous, right? It's his big day. And all of a sudden, after, all, after seven days of partying, daddy shows up with the bride. The brides back in those days were covered from head to toe. Okay, they recovered from head to toe. That's one. Two, this wedding was in the dark. Okay, and three, seven days, right? He, was, he got smashed. He had seven days of getting smashed. So he had three things against him. She was covered from head to toe. It was dark, and he was smashed already. Who knows? He was probably seeing three shadows in the dark, huh? We don't know, Okay. But what happens is they end up, they get married, right? They get together, they go off into their tent, they become husband and wife, they consummate the marriage, okay? Until the next morning. Verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? So Jacob wakes up, probably all hung over, turns around and looks, and <gasps> right? It's the wrong one. It's not the fine Rachel, right? It's the not-so-pleasantly-looking Leah. Okay, I'm going to be nice this time, okay? It's the oldest sister. So here we're seeing that finally the trickster got tricked, right? Jacob, who was the con man, got conned, right? The deceiver has been deceived. Verse 26, Laban replied, it's not our custom to get to, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older. So he's like, hey, hey, Jakey, Jakey baby, watch out. We got rules. In our, in our country, we got rules, Right? He says, and our rules is we take care of the firstborn first. Does that ring a bell to him? Right? Does that ring a bell? That probably right there stung him right to the core of his heart, huh? Because now that he hears that, what could Jacob say? Nothing. Because the very thing that he's accusing Laban of, he did it himself. 
So now we're seeing this thing that now he's entering the school of hard knocks. Right? And what was the first lesson he got? You reap what you sow. Right? That was his first lesson. You reap what you sow. Or as people tend to say, what comes around goes around. Right? Okay. So a person reaps what he sows. Okay? Whether it be righteous or unrighteous. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we covered that our choices bear fruit. Remember? Every choice that we make bears a fruit, whether it be good fruit or bad fruit. It bears a fruit. Okay? There's going to be an outcome of the decision that you've made, whether it was a right decision or a bad decision. Here we're seeing the effects of the bad decision that Jacob made. Sure, Jacob is saved, right? He's saved, but there's still that aspect of having to pay for the decision that you made. You're forgiven, yes, but you still got to deal with the outcome. Okay, let's continue. So in reading this right here, there's a couple of questions that we want to ask, right? Here it focuses on Laban, on Jacob, and Leah, but where's Rachel in all this? Where is she in all this? That was the question that I asked, you know, and it kind of made me wonder, do you think maybe she might have been hidden away, whisked away, right? Who knows? Another question I had too was, what was the state of, 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 of mental, the mentality of Leah? Right? Knowing that Leah, Leah knew that as soon as my man came out of his hangover, he was going to see the real thing. What was going on in her mind? That she was put in that position. You know what I mean? Not only that, but the very act of, of them consummating the marriage, what was going on in Jacob's mind? Jacob is thinking he's with Rachel, right? So he's got his mind on another woman. You see what I'm saying? So what was going on in her mind? So now we're starting to see the effects of what happens when greed kicks in, right? Oh, Daddy Laban did all this so that way he can gain for himself. Remember how we asked, I asked you earlier, could he be a family man? Was he, was he approaching Jacob because he was family? He wasn't a family man. Because if he was a family man, he would have considered his daughters, right? But instead, he sacrifices his daughter's emotions. All because of greed. Okay? Let's continue. Verse 27. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Now, in the Old Testament term, terminology... Uh, a week can either be seven days or seven years, okay? But in this case, we're seeing a specific that it is seven years. So Jacob realizing that he really has no basis, you know, for, for, for argument, he becomes a good sport about it. He says, okay, he agrees to it. So now he's got himself two women, okay? He's got himself two women because he's still in love with Rachel. So he's willing to put in another seven years of work, right? Remember, the first year, the first seven years were like nothing. Was it like that the second seven years? I don't know. Hard labor, right? Verse 28, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. 
and he worked for Laban for another seven years. Now, this is interesting right here, because in this verse we're seeing that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, okay? He's got two wives now. Now, remember we covered last week that God's not putting a stamp of approval on polygamy, right? This is just the Bible stating the facts, okay? Jacob has two women now, okay? We know that, that in the Old Testament times that because they were making decisions like this to get two and three wives, that God set perimeters, okay, in the Old Testament. But as we continue to read through the Old Testament, he, he, he guides us people out of that type of thinking, okay? And then when Jesus is on the scene, Jesus makes it clear that it ain't cool. It's not happening. That's not what God ordained. That's not what God wanted, okay? So we're seeing here this, this polygamy deal beginning, right? Jacob takes a second wife, okay? But watch what happens. Watch what happens within the span of one verse, okay? Verse 31 says, When the Lord saw Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Okay, watch this. God saw something. Okay? He saw something. Okay? Now, in verse 30, it says that, that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. But in verse 31, it says that she was not loved. Now, in other versions, it says that she was hated. So you go from one verse of her being uh, less loved than the other to now being hated. Why is that? And this is the problem that we see in polygamy. Okay? This is the problem that we see. Today in society, when you read certain magazines, you'll see certain reports, you know, that some psychologists will say that having an affair or having someone extra is healthy for a marriage. Right? Those who read those type of magazines will see that it's all more frequent. Those reports are, are, are growing. That it's okay when there's pressures in the marriage, it's okay for, for the man to have someone else on the side. Or it's okay for the woman to have someone else on the side. It's healthy for that marriage. The Bible says it's not. God says it's not. Okay? And we see here that the reason why God says it's not what does Jesus tell us in the New Testament? You cannot serve two masters. You either love one and you hate the other, or you hate one and love the other. You cannot serve two masters. Okay? And here we've got Jacob with two women. And look what happens within one verse. He goes from loving one less to now hating her. Okay? Our heart is, is built in such a way that we cannot love two people at the same time simultaneously in that way. That's how we're created. We, our heart is not built that way. Our heart is built to love one and one only. Okay? The world might say that you can. Right? As a matter of fact, the world is saying that all the time that you can't. Right? You might think that you can, but the Bible says you can't. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other, okay? And this is the problem with polygamy or 
relationships of the opposite sex other than your spouse, okay? Now, I'm going to get real with you. Is it okay if I get real tonight? Okay, because I'm going to touch on an area that's pretty sensitive. Okay? If a man even has an occupational or ministerial relationship with a woman other than his wife, he's in danger. You are in danger. Okay? Because the Bible says that where your, where your treasure is, there is where your heart is. Okay? And it's not something that happens overnight. It's subtle. It's subtle, but it's serious. And vice versa. Women, if you have a relationship with a man, whether it be an innocent relationship at work, in ministry, be careful. Right? Because the enemy will do everything and anything he can to try to destroy a marriage, to try to destroy a family, okay? An innocent relationship with a member of the opposite sex other than your spouse is subtle, sad, serious situation because eventually the heart will follow. All it takes is one innocent conversation, and before you know it, you're starting to share things that you shouldn't share. And then it becomes something else. We got to be careful. Because where your treasure goes, your heart goes. Now, what, what are we talking about treasure here? When it says where your treasure is, there your heart is. What you value. Okay. Anything else? Your money. Okay. All those are right. How about your thoughts and your dreams? That's your treasure also. You know what I mean? And money, of course, follows. Because once you get an emotional attachment, then you start dishing out money. Right? Because you want to impress. So be careful. Because when that happens, when a marriage is affected in that way, you come home, you come home to your spouse. Right? And the way that you look at your spouse is not the same way. It's not. We're looking at right here. Jacob is not even looking at Leah in that way. He went from loving her less to now hating her. And that's what happens when there's an attachment. You come home and you look at your spouse in a different way. Now your spouse can't even do anything right in your eyes. You find whatever reason to criticize, point the finger, find something wrong. That's why whenever I, I see couples that are going through it, that are having problems, the first thing that I ask, is there someone else involved? And I'm not talking about sexually. I'm not talking about sexually. It could be someone that you're just talking to at work. It could be someone that you're having a Bible study with. It could be someone that you're having a cup of coffee with. Who's in your life? You know, I had, I had a, a pastor friend of mine, he's my, my mentor years ago, uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord. You know, he's a, he was a worship pastor. Yeah, and I, I consider him a psalmist because this man could, could worship and he could explain the worship to you. You know, it was like reading a psalm. 
And he played with, with the greats. He played with also with, with uh, Andre Crouch. And he took me under his wing. And one of the things that he told me was, Mijo, be careful with the opposite sex, even in ministry. Because the enemy will come in and he will twist things around and try to destroy what you have built. He will try to destroy what the Lord has in your lives. And he, and he confessed to me. He said, I tell you that because that happened to me. Even though it was not anything sexual, but there was an emotional attachment. Once there's an emotional attachment, it's just as bad. So we have to be careful. We're built to love one, right? We're built to love one. Praise the Lord. Okay. So we can't love two women, okay? Guys, you can't love two women. Ladies, you can't love two men, okay? Let's learn a lesson from Jesus. When Jesus picked his disciples, what did he pick? Six and six? Nah, Jesus wasn't thinking about equal opportunity discipleship, no. Did he pick eight, eight men and four women? No. Eleven women or eleven men and one woman? No. He picked twelve men. Men with men. Sure, there were women around, but they had their own group, women with women, right? And I strongly believe men talk with men, disciple men, pray with men, fellowship with men, women the same thing. Amen? Praise the Lord. Unless it's your spouse. That's different. Okay? And look, it's, this, this isn't legalism, okay? This is wisdom. This is wisdom, okay? So let's, let's be wise, church. Let's understand that here Jacob is in a heap of trouble because he's got two women now. Now he's got to deal with the consequences, right? He loves one, and then all of a sudden he begins to hate her, okay? So what happens here is that God sees it. So let's go ahead, uh, verse, verse 32. So God sees it, and he opens up Rachel's womb, okay? And, I mean, uh, Leah's womb, and Rachel becomes barren. So verse 32. Leah became present, uh, pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Now, this is pathetic, okay? Because what Leah's doing here is she's doing what many women do, is thinking that a baby will bring you guys together. You know what I mean? And, that's, and that, that can't happen. It doesn't happen. The reality is, is that it does not happen. So what does she do? She has another kid. Okay? She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, she gave, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. So now, since number one didn't do it, not number two. He's got to do it. But doesn't happen? No. It doesn't happen. So what does she do? Have another one. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at, at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So his name was Levi. Now Levi means join. So she was hoping, wow, I've already given him 
these sons, now maybe he'll be joined to me. But my heart breaks for her, right? Because the reality is it does not happen. So she conceives again. And she gives birth to a son. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. So this time she doesn't mention her husband, right? This time her focus is on the Lord. This time she's like, you know what? I give up. I'm just going to praise God. I'm going to praise God through my circumstances. And maybe you might be going through an unfavorable circumstance, right? Maybe you're going through something that hasn't changed. It's taken a long time to change or it won't change, right? What do we do? We learn a lesson from Leah. Leah praised the Lord. Leah said she gave the credit to the Lord saying, the Lord saw my condition. He saw that I was hated. She knew that God, God's eyes were on her. So that finally at last she's like, you know what? I'm not even going to trip anymore. I'm just going to praise God. I'm just going to praise God through it all. And that's the encouraging part about it, is the fact that she's going through all these bad circumstances, but yet her faith remains the same. She continues to cry out to the Lord. She continues to praise the Lord. Amen? Why? Because she knows that God's in control, regardless of what she's going through. Jacob couldn't make her happy. He couldn't make either one of them happy, right? And vice versa. They couldn't make him happy. Everybody was unsatisfied because of poor decisions, right? But even in the midst of poor decisions, in the midst of bad circumstances, God is still in control. Leah understood that God was in control. That's why she praised him. But here, Jacob, he's still learning. He will learn. As we continue on in this story, he's going to see that God is in control. Amen? How many of you guys believe he's in control? Well, then let's give him praise. Give him praise. Praise God. God is good. Amen? Okay. So leave with that tonight, that God is in control. In the midst of your circumstances, God is in control. In the midst of, 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 of things that you may be going through that you feel that might not change or are taking too long to change, remember, God, his eyes are on you and he sees everything. And he's taken a record of everything. And God deals with it in his own timing, right? It doesn't go unnoticed. And you know what the awesome thing about it is that nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing. He knows it all, right? And he's dealing with it. Even, even if he deals with it through the school of hard knocks, right? So if we're going through the school of hard knocks, keep going. Graduate. Amen? Graduate. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Father, for tonight. We thank you for the lessons that we learned tonight, Lord God. Even in the midst of circumstances, Lord God, that may be unfavorable, Lord, we know that you are in control, Father. We're thankful, Father, for even the trials that we may go through, Lord, as your word says to rejoice when we go through trials, Father. We ask, Heavenly Father, for strength and for a reminder, Heavenly Father, every time when we're going through something, that we may be reminded, Lord, that you watch over us and that you're in control and that we don't have to worry. We can turn our disappointments into praise, Lord. May we always be reminded of that, Lord. May we always give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory, Father. I pray a blessing over everyone here.
Give them traveling mercies as they go home, Lord God. Prepare them, Father, for the rest of the week, Lord, as we come back again on Sunday to glorify you, Lord. We ask that you would set the atmosphere already, Father, for you to be honored, Father. We praise you, we glorify you, and we love you, Father. And it is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, church. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you.